by the way, I talked to somebody, I said, hey, you really changed my life. And they said, I hope I changed your life for the better. Uh, yeah, so this message is going to change your life now and forever. This is a groundbreaking, life-changing uh, turning point in your life right now in this message. Why am I saying that? Well, number one, the Bible says that the Bible is the Word of God. Okay, now I have some Greek scholars here. The Greek word for Word of God, Matthew, is theanoustos. It just means God breathes. So this Bible is actually breathed out by God himself. So obviously, if you have a document that's actually breathed out by God himself, it is impossible that it would not change your life. What happens is, a lot of times, we read it over and over again, you got nine Bibles in your house, it's on the shelf, and you forget the wonder and the craziness of what this book actually claims for itself. This book is saying that it is the actual word of the actual God of heaven. If you have this book, you have everything you need to change your life now and forever. Number two, this particular story in the Gospel of John, chapter 5. Look how I introduce where we're going. That's professional grade. This particular story in John, chapter 5, speaks of a man who was in a condition for a very, very long period of time, which changed very quickly. And as we always say, when you're reading a story, you've got to ask a couple questions. One of the major questions is, who am I in the story? As we always say, when God tells us a story in the Bible, he is not gossiping about the people. He is showing us a mirror. You are in the story somewhere. All right, let's go. Gospel of John, chapter 5, starting from verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. It's very, very important for John to start this chapter by saying there is a feast of the Jews. Why? Because during the times of the feast, the Jews were particularly religious. They were always religious, but they were super hyper-religious during the times of the feast. And you're going to see why that's important later. This is kind of very similar in our culture, right? We have a feast, and then we become very religious. Like yesterday. Yesterday, kind of in the afternoon, we were talking about being thankful. Isn't that true? Everybody's being thankful. I'm thankful that you're here. I'm thankful for this. And then we had this big feast, Thanksgiving. This is exactly how it operated for the Jews. The Jews had feasts actually wired into their culture in their law. It was part of their constitution. You had to have these feasts, and the whole point of the feast was you're going to stop what you're doing and focus on God. So they were extremely religious during this feast time. It's very important. Verse 2. Now there was in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which had five roof colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. So here's Jesus. He's visiting Jerusalem. There's a trillion places he can visit. There are rich and powerful people. There are religious people who are running Jerusalem that have a ton of influence. Who does Jesus decide he's going to come and hang out with? He hangs out with a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed people. That's where Jesus decides he's going to go when he goes to Jerusalem during a feast day. Now, by the time of chapter 7 into chapter 8, you see he does end up in the temple. 
But before he ends up in the temple with all the fancy people, he starts first with blind, lame, and paralyzed people. And by the way, it says invalids in your English, at least in the ESV. I mean, think of the term invalid. You know, if you, if you pronounce it a different way, you hear what? Invalid. Invalid. Why do we use that term to apply to blind, lame, and paralyzed people? It's very simple. You can't do anything to produce in our culture. You're blind, you're lame, you are no longer valid. Your thoughts, your feelings, your emotions, invalid. Your purpose, invalid. Because you're lame, man. You're paralyzed, lady. So what, what does what you have to say mean for anything? You see, they were not in a culture that had, uh, you know, the handicap stickers where the handicapped folks got the, the best parking spots and all that. By the way, that stuff came from us, loving the handicapped person. That came from a Christian worldview. They didn't have a Christian worldview. So if you're paralyzed, you're disabled, or there's something wrong with you, you're not valid. We don't care about you, don't care about what you have to say. Anybody ever felt like that? I mean, you don't necessarily have to be externally disabled to feel like an invalid person. You don't necessarily have to have a physical malady for people in your life to invalidate how you feel. This happens all the time. Some of you have been invalidated by your parents. Completely and totally invalidated. How you felt about something, what your thoughts were, what your hopes and dreams were, invalid. Some of you have been invalidated by our culture. You don't look a certain way, you don't act a certain way, you think a certain way, all of a sudden now you are invalid. You got nothing to say because you don't measure up to a certain cultural standard. There are a bunch of ways that people get invalidated. Here's a crazy one. You can invalidate yourself. You got these crazy self-standards that you hold yourself to. And because you can't hit your own standards, you invalidate yourself. Everybody else is okay. Everybody else is fine. You, you're, you're able to see the weakness in other people and go, okay, well, that, you know, they just made a mistake. But then when it happens with you, kaboom. You invalidate yourself. So we're invalidated by our family. We're invalidated by culture. We're invalidated by ourselves. And that is where Jesus decides he is going to hang out. Now, why, oh, why would Jesus do that? You see, whenever you're reading your Bible, don't just read the words. Stop and think. Look, Jesus had to do things with purpose. He's walking up to Jerusalem. There's this awesome feast. And in his mind, he's thinking, where are those people, the multitudes of them, the dozens and dozens of them that have been completely cast away by the society? Where are they? Because everybody else right now is feasting and being religious and completely abandoning these people. That's what Jesus is thinking. In the midst of all of your uh, happy Thanksgiving and all the rest of it, there are hundreds of people in our society that we have completely abandoned and left behind. And what's in the mind of Jesus? I want to go to those people. Why? Because one of the goals of Jesus is to validate the invalidated. Okay? That's one of the goals of Jesus. That's one of his missions. You say, oh, oh, that's very nice. That's very sweet. Well, watch, watch what happens. 
So one man, think about this now. There are multitudes of people who are invalid, okay? But there's one man was there, had been an invalid for 38 years. Now I cannot comprehend that. You know why? I am 33 years old. This dude has been an invalid longer than I have been alive. 38 years. John is very, very specific with how long this dude has been in this condition. Now think about this. Jerusalem is not uh, California. California has trillions of people. Okay? Jerusalem wasn't big like that. You know what that meant? That meant for 38 years, people knew who this guy was. For 38 years, he just walked on by him and didn't really care who he was or what he was about. He was just laying down there for 38 years. So imagine you're sitting there laying down for 38 years and you're used to it. People just walk by you. You know, Houston, Texas has uh, like the highest concentration of panhandlers in America, something like that. I, used to, I lived in Houston for a year. And uh, it was amazing to me because I would sit and people watch and these guys were panhandling and hundreds of people would just walk by them like they weren't there. So this guy wakes up. It's a Saturday just like any other Saturday. Everybody's walking by him. He's like, yeah, that's what I expect. And all of a sudden, somebody turns to him and notices him. Looks him dead in the face. This is Jesus. This is what he does. This is Jesus, very, very important person. You agree Jesus is kind of important. And he stops out of all those multitudes of people, and he looks at this one guy. 38 years. Look what he says to him. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time. Now, it doesn't say Jesus asked around about the guy. It says he saw and he knew. Very important words in scripture. I don't know how many people are in our room right now. 50, 60, I don't know. But some of you right now, there's a crowd of us and Jesus is singling you out and looking at you and he knows. He saw and he knew. This is the complete opposite of this man's experience for his entire life. Nobody saw him, nobody knew him. Nobody saw him because he's an invalid and nobody knew him because nobody took the time to know anything about him. So Jesus saw him, he knew him. I wonder how many of you feel invisible. I wonder how many of you feel like you're seen, but people look right through you because nobody really sees you. How many of you feel really known? How many of you feel understood when you say something to people? Do people always misunderstand you? Always misread you? Never really truly know what you're actually feeling because you don't have words to put to what you actually feel. You don't feel seen. You don't feel known. Well, guess what? You don't need to be seen or known by anybody except for Jesus. Jesus saw. Jesus knew. He had been there for a long time. So what does he say to him? He asks him a question. Jesus said to him, Do you want to be healed? 
Now look, Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus never wasted a breath. Part of me, I mean, I was a kid, I used to read my Bible, I used to say, why did Jesus ask these weird questions? What do you, do you want to be healed? The guy's been there for 38 years. That is a silly question, Jesus. I was eight years old. Give me a break. But think about this. What do you mean, do you want to be healed? He's been there for 38 years. Well, look how the man responds. The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water stirred up, and while I'm going, another steps down before me. Did the guy answer Jesus' question? No. Now, let's pull back for a second. Jesus says, do you want to be healed? This is where your life is going to change. Right here, look. The reason Jesus asked the question is because you can read the story and assume the answer, but if you don't know human nature, you'd be wrong. Because there are times when people are in really terrible situations and it looks like they want to get out of it, when ultimately, they really don't. Ooh, think about this for a second. This guy has been begging on the ground for 38 years. He's still alive, obviously, which means that he has been sustaining himself through the donations of other people. People throw money at him, throw a sandwich at him, whatever. Why would he not want to immediately jump up and say, yes, Jesus, heal me? Well, here's a couple reasons. Reason number one. Remember, ask yourself, who are you in the story? Reason number one, because being healed is hard work. You say, what are you talking about? Being healed is hard work. Look, on the one hand, it's horrible to be laying on a bed for 38 years. On the other hand, you don't have to do a thing. Everybody does everything for you. So what happens is, at some point in his life, yes, being lame is terrible, but on the other hand, he goes, you know what? People are doing everything for me. You know what? The people that do actually look at me, even though they're not really seeing me, they have pity on me. Now look, I'm not accusing anyone of anything. I'm telling you to ask yourself these questions. Many of us are in love with our dysfunction, because immediately it gets us pity and attention. <laughs> the fact of the matter is, growing up and living in a sinful world means that horrible things are going to happen to you. I'm in a room full of pain and suffering. I was at Thanksgiving yesterday. We had Thanksgiving. A guy came up to me, and the entire meal, he's crying his eyes out because... His mom and his three brothers died, one after the other. Just terrible. So there's so much pain, all, even in a happy moment like Thanksgiving, there's pain. The holidays actually are some of the worst times for people. Because everybody has lost someone. Today's my mother's birthday. Okay? So, this is horrible. So, I'm eating Thanksgiving all the time. Well, I wasn't eating Thanksgiving. I was hanging out with my buddy. But he's talking to me about losing his mother. And I'm like, I know, man. I know the feeling. It's my mother's birthday today. It was tomorrow, yesterday. You understand? So, here's what I'm saying. If you 
want to use your tragedy. God, help me so that people understand what I'm saying. If you want to use your tragedy as a reason to get pity from everyone, all the time, every time, you can do that. Because living in a sinful world would afford you the opportunity to have something to get pity from other people forever. Now, am I saying it is wrong to grieve the loss of your mother? No. It is right, it is proper, it is good to grieve for your mother. I'm going to have that as a whole in my soul for my entire life. Okay? That's not what I'm talking about. What I am talking about is the impulse, the, the propulsion toward stopping the entire planet Earth because of your pain and your suffering, and no matter what else is going on, you find some way to channel the attention back to you and your suffering. That's what I'm talking about. There's a big difference between healthy grief and obsessing about your grief. And you're one of those people that no matter what is happening in the room, you channel the thing back to your pain and suffering, well then Jesus would ask you, do you even want to be healed? Because you got the corner market on suffering. You, don't, you can't even see anybody else's pain and suffering. Do you notice how the guy responded? When I want to do something, somebody else goes in before me. There's multitudes of people suffering, sir. But all we can do is talk about himself. See, this is what happens when we become obsessed with our pain, is that we become immune to other people's pain. And we're like legit confused that people are not showering us with pity. The reason is, is because other people are in pain. That's why. And Jesus asked the guy the question, do you want to be healed, man? One, being healed is hard work. Two, being healed takes away the pity. Here's number three. It may very well have been that being lame became this man's identity. Not so much that he was lazy. Not so much that he was uh, starving for attention. But that somewhere along the line, when he gave up hope, somewhere along the line, when he finally began to believe what the society was saying about him, you're an invalid, that's who you are. Somewhere along the line, he took that title onto himself and said, okay, well, that's who I am. And that became his identity. That became his comfort zone. That became home for him. That's what he began to identify himself as. I am Joe, the invalid. I am Susie, the invalid. I am Susie, the depressed person. I am Joe, the alcoholic. I am X, Y, and Z. That is my identity. So when you come to me and tell me I can be healed, you're talking about a completely different world, man. I've been in this for 30 plus years. What are you talking about? This is me. This is identity. This is an issue where you define yourself completely and totally by all of these external factors. You do not define yourself by what God says about you. You don't define yourself by what the Bible says about you. You define yourself by what society says about you. And you are stuck in that rut. That is who you are. And somebody is speaking Swahili to you when they tell you, look, you don't have to be in this situation anymore. Doesn't make sense. It's like telling, telling you that you can now become a citizen of the planet Mars or something. It doesn't make sense. 
And Jesus says, hey man, do you want to be healed? Because he is instigating that question in your soul. Here's the question. Whatever you're laying down in, really, do you really want to be healed? Really? This is why I said this will change your life if you listen to it. And immediately when I said that at the beginning, somebody was cynically going, Psh. If you did that, then you're that guy. <laughs> if you don't believe the scripture can change you, that means one of those three things is true of you. Right? Otherwise, why are we here? Good night. I barely graduated high school. I have nothing to give you. I got nothing to give you. I got this. This is everything, though. If you don't believe there's something supernatural about this book, get up and leave. There's things you can do. It's Friday night. I'm not going to tell you the things you can do, but it's Friday night. Okay, if we're going to agree that this is a supernatural book, then this is a thing that can set us free. So, Jesus asks the guy, do you want to get well? Now, when he talks about nobody, people are getting in the water in front of me, basically, here's what that means. There is an urban legend at that time that these invisible angels would go and, like, stir up the water, okay? And when the water got stirred up, if you made it first, you would get healed, okay? That was the urban legend. It was not true, but that's what they believed. So when Jesus says, do you want to get healed, what he says is, other people get in there before I do. This tells us his idea about God. Here's his idea about God. God is first come, first serve. Or who's heard this before? God helps those who help themselves. God will throw you a rope, and if you don't hold on to the rope, then that's on you. That's his mentality about grace. So what he's saying is, look, I am so lame, I can't get to the healing waters, and because I can't do the work to get to the healing waters, God doesn't want to help me. <clears throat> and really what he's saying is, God has been completely and totally unfair to me, because he set up this system where the only way I can be healed is if I have the power to move, and because I'm lame, I can't get healed. So God set me up in a system where I would always fail. This is God. This is what he did to me. This is his mentality about God. I wonder how many of us have that mentality about God. That he set you up in a system to fail. He puts you in this world. He puts you in your horrible family. He put all these addictions on you so that you could fail. And ultimately, it's really his fault that you're in the situation that you're in. That's what this guy's saying. I've talked to so many people, and that's their mentality. And many of us right now say, no, no, I don't believe that. There's a reason people like this are in the Bible, man. You have no, I have talked to so many people where I've said, hmm, it seems like you're blaming God for your situation. They go, no, no, no. And then 20 minutes later, they're crying, yes, it's his fault. This is human nature. This is why this stuff is in the Bible. This guy is blaming God for his situation. And he is saying that the grace of God can only come, healing can only come through the work and effort of human beings. Now, does Jesus say, thank you, buddy. How'd you know? Does Jesus say, you're wrong, and I'm going to go into a big, long dialogue about how you're wrong about God and wrong about your situation. Does Jesus do that? Well, that's what I would have done. Praise God that Jesus is not like me. This is what Jesus does. Jesus says, get up, take up your bed, and walk. 
Jesus didn't say, hey man, you didn't answer my question. Jesus didn't say, hey man, you, uh, you're, 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 you're being really harsh about God. He didn't say any of that stuff. He just says, take up, take up your mat and walk, man. Take up your bed and, and, and walk. Now why would Jesus heal the man this way? Why not pick the man up? Stand him up on his feet. Why tell him to stand up and walk? You know why? Here's why. Because Jesus is busting through all three of those issues. Are you down there because you're lazy? You want handouts all the time? Get up. Take up your bed. Do some work, man. Are you on the ground because you want pity and you want self-pity and all the rest of it? Well, you're going to have to stand up on your own two feet like a man. Have some self-respect, Jesus is saying. Are you on the ground because this is your identity? Jesus is saying, I'm going to give you a new identity. You're the guy who stands up and takes, his up, takes up his mat and walks. He is adding validity to a man who's been invalid for 38 years. This is not Jesus being harsh. This is Jesus challenging the man. This is what happens when you become a valid human being. In the power of God, you take up your bed and you walk out of the situation that you found yourself in. However you got there. However you got there. God empowers you by his grace. And then he tells you, stand up like the woman of God that you are. Get up and walk, man. You got, we got places to go. So Jesus cuts right down the middle. On the one hand, what he's saying is you need supernatural power to get up. Isn't that true? He couldn't get up. Did that guy earn it? No. Did he crawl to the water and get there? No. It was just the grace of Jesus, seeing him, knowing him. Boom, you got supernatural power. And then Jesus says... I'm going to restore your dignity. Get up and walk. Jesus shows up to a guy uh, in the Old Testament, Judges chapter 6, and he's scared, and he's a coward. And Jesus says to the guy, look, I'm going to get you, and you're going to go fight. You're going to be a warrior. Of course, the guy's scared to death. He's a coward. And that's the guy Jesus chooses to be a warrior. And this is what Jesus said to him. Go in the strength that you have. Am I not sending you? Same principle. Jesus gives you the power, and then once he gives you the power, he tells you to go in the strength that he has given you because he wants to restore your dignity and your validity on his terms. You realize for the rest of that guy's life, every time he would uh, pick up his bed and go somewhere, every time he'd get up and walk, he would remember that encounter. Jesus is the one that strengthened me. Here's another reason... Uh, that Jesus told the guy to get up his bed and walk. The day that, well, I'll, I'll just show you. <laughs> it's kind of funny. At once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. Now watch this. Now that day was the Sabbath. Now the Sabbath is uh, a holy day to the Jewish people. Remember what I said earlier? It was a feast day, so they were super religious at the moment. And so the Sabbath was a day that you were not supposed to work. Right? You shall do no work on the Sabbath. That's commandment number four. And here's what happened historically with the Jewish people. They said, we don't want to break this commandment, man. We want to be really, we want to obey this commandment. So what they did was, on top of the rules that God put, placed in there for how to keep the Sabbath, they created rules outside of the rules so that you wouldn't break the law. So, for example, it's like, you know, if the speed limit is 55, 
Some people say it says, okay, I'm going to drive 45. Because if I drive 45, I'm definitely not going to go past 55. That was their idea. So then they came up with all these lists of things that were not in the Bible that you now couldn't do. Do you know what one of them were? On the Sabbath, you cannot pick up your mat. Okay? That was one of their rules. And what does Jesus tell the guy to do? He says, take up your, uh, get up and take up your mat. Jesus is poking these people in the eye and saying, you created this crazy rule, and now I'm going to heal this guy and poke you in the eyeball. Jesus intentionally instigated these religious people. You go, man, that Jesus, he's a troublemaker. I like him. Well, <clears throat> here's the thing. This guy was physically disabled. The people we're about to meet are spiritually disabled. And Jesus loves both of them. Look what happens. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It's the Sabbath. It's not lawful for you to take up your bed. Now think about this. They would have known this guy. He was on the ground for 38 years. They would have seen him. Jerusalem was not California. They would have known him. Here's this guy lying on the ground for 38 years. Now all of a sudden he's walking. And the first thing out of your mouth is you can't carry your mat. When I say they were spiritually disabled, I'm telling you the literal truth. you got to be very insensitive. There has to be some mechanism in your soul that's broken that can't celebrate when somebody has been delivered from 38 years of bondage. You're so caught up in your rules that you can't celebrate when somebody has been free. You're, you're so caught up in your lust for power that you can't rejoice over somebody that has now been filled with the power of God. That, you're, you got a disability. Some of us are like that, man. Some of us are completely and totally put together. We're very pop, popular, beautiful, organized individuals, very valid as far as society would say. These people who are going after this guy are the top of society. And you're completely and totally disabled spiritually. You can't even recognize when God is among you. You want to talk about blind? These people were blind. Look what the guy says. The man who healed me. Now it's explicit. So if they didn't recognize him, now he made it clear. The man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. And what the guy is saying is, look, I understand that you have your rules, okay? But I've been on the ground for 38 years and you couldn't do nothing for me. This guy shows up and in two seconds I'm up off the ground. So he has more street cred to me than you. Well, there's nothing that makes a religious person more upset than saying that somebody else has more influence over them than you. You see, Jesus purposely instigated this discussion. Why? Because he wanted that man to bear witness to those other people. There is somebody around us right now that is supernatural. So he instigates this discussion so that they would be at full attention. If the guy says, the man who healed me, right there you should go to a full stop and say, who is this guy? I want to know who he is. Look what they say. They asked him, who is this man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? 
Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think they asked that question because they wanted to know who Jesus was and they wanted to find him and they wanted to be healed of their spiritual blindness? No. You can read later on in chapter 5 for yourself. When they locate Jesus and find him, they start persecuting him for healing on the Sabbath. They had no interest in finding Jesus because of what he had done for the man. The only interest that they had was to get into a theological argument with him. Even though it's irrefutable that he healed this guy. Why do you think I said this message is going to change your life? You know why? Because just like these people are blind to the fact that they were in the midst of some supernatural power, many of us are blind to the fact that they're in the midst of supernatural power. Same problem. This is a supernatural book who has healed millions of people. This book has gotten billions of people off their mat and walking. And you're just looking at it just like a... Or a list of rules or something to get into an argument about. And I was in John chapter 1 with my friends. And it was, we just had this crazy moment. The Holy Spirit showed up. It was crazy. And I said to myself, man, most of the time I've been a John 1 in my career. It's been to disprove Jehovah Witnesses. <laughs> instead, of, instead of dwelling in the wonder of what John chapter 1 was actually saying. Man, you, you're in the midst of supernatural power with this book. This is the closest human, humanly speaking, you're going to get to Jesus Christ himself speaking to you. And if you actually recognize this thing for what it was, it would blow you away. Now, what do they say? Verse 13. The man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in that place. So Jesus, you know, I don't know, you guys ever watch Batman? You know, Alfred is talking to Batman, and then he turns around and gets a coffee, and then boom, Batman's gone. Okay, they stole that, you know. They stole that from Jesus. Jesus heals the guy, and he goes, hey man, thank you. He turns around, Jesus is gone. He's withdrawn. He heals the guy, and then he bounces, because he wanted to set this guy off on this argument with the Pharisees. Okay? So Jesus didn't reveal himself to the guy. Some of you, this is what it's like. You're walking around, you get touched by God, you know that he was there, you know that he was healed, and then he's gone. And many of you have felt that. You're like, oh man, Jesus is right there in the room, he's right there. And then he's gone, and you're like, this whole thing was a sham. He was never there, he never loved me. I made the whole thing up. The whole thing was a sham, he just disappeared, he did the Batman thing and he disappeared. Just, just calm down. Stop being like that. Just wait. He has a plan. He's plotting something. Look what happens. Verse 14. Afterward, see, some of you don't wait for verse 14 in your life. Verse 13 happens, you want to quit. Verse 13 happens, you're like, you know, I'm done with Christianity. I got so many texts from me. I'm done with Christianity. I quit because now I start to feel God's distance. I'm not trivializing. That's real pain, man. What I'm saying is, just because you feel God's distance doesn't mean that you didn't have real moments when he drew near to you. As a matter of fact, you wouldn't feel him distant if he wasn't near to you at some point. The only reason you feel that he's distant is because you knew what it was like for him to be close. So don't give up on verse 13. Don't go crazy because 
he's far away from you for a little bit. Just hold on. Look, afterward, verse 14, Jesus what? What's the word? Found him. Jesus pulled away, but Jesus was looking for him. You say, how do you know he's looking for him? Well, how do you find something? You find things by what? Looking for them. See, sometimes Jesus heals people in stages. He will come and he'll overcome you with his presence. He'll pull away and you're like, ah! And then he's, he's looking for you. He's, he's, he's going to find you. So here, he finds a guy. Listen to what Jesus said to this guy. This is so important. This is another thing that's going to change your life. Watch what Jesus says. Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, Now look, this guy is lame. He's an invalid. He gets up. He takes up his mat. He's in a debate with the Pharisees. Where does he go? He goes to the temple. Why? Because that's where God is. This is their mentality at this time. God is in the temple. I got healed. I'm going to the temple. He's, he's seeking after God. This is important. Why? Because many of us, this is what happens. You, you end up in a horrible life situation. You got financial problems. You got relationship problems. You got fill-in-the-blank problems. And you know what you say? You say, God, if you deliver me from this situation, I'll live for you for the rest of my life. And he goes, oh, yeah? Oh. So he delivers you from that situation. Do you go to the temple? Do you get into your, this supernatural thing? Do you, do you gather around other Christians? No. You go right back to your life. I had a friend who was in a crazy situation. Horrible. Got very religious. Then he got delivered. Right back to craziness. This guy is taking advantage of the fact that he got healed. He said, you know what? I got healed. I'm going to the temple. I want to find a way to get to God. And there... Jesus finds him. What's the principle? Here's the principle. God delivers you from your crazy situation, or God shows up to you in some crazy way, and you don't feel his presence, and he withdraws from you. What is your responsibility? Your responsibility is to pursue him. Go to the temple. Now look, I'm not telling you literally to go to some temple. I'm not even telling you to come to self with three. What I'm telling you is pursue God. Get into your Bible, please. Pray, please. Stop filling your mind with hours. And Look, there's something different has to happen in your life. If you're constantly filling your mind and your heart with craziness or with foolishness, that's not pursuing God. So you go into the temple, you pursue God. I'm not saying you can't come to church, come to church. We like you. Come, we like your face. Come to church. So he goes to the temple. Now watch what Jesus says to him. See, you are well. There's an exclamation point mark in my Bible. I don't know if it is in yours. I want you guys to just imagine Jesus' face. You're well. Jesus is happy. Hey, you're good, man. Man, you were sick for a long time. You are well. Jesus is happy. Hey, I found you. There were a multitude of people lying down there on the on the on the ground, invalid, and I looked at you, I saw you, I knew you, I healed you, and now there's a bunch of people in the temple, but I found you, and you're well. Look at you, standing on your own two feet over there in the temple. Jesus is happy. You're well. Look what he says to the man. Stop sitting 
or something worse can happen to you. You say, that sounds like a threat, Jesus. Hmm? I mean, when we're in the hood, we had problems with people. Before we would go, we'd say, hey, man, if you keep doing that, something's going to happen to you. That's a threat. <clears throat> Jesus says, hey, you're good. Stop sinning. Stop sinning or something worse will happen to you. Well, what's worse than being on a bed for 38 years, not being able to move? Hell forever. That's worse. Separating from all the goodness and kindness and grace and love and mercy of God forever. That's worse. Here's the message. Here's the horrible truth. Look, and here's the thing about Christianity, okay? You have got to learn to live in the paradox. You've got to learn on the one hand to be happy for people and at the same time feel the weight of the value of a human soul. Everybody here is spending forever somewhere. And I am sorry for the things that have happened to you, but there's always hope. Even if you're not a believer, I want you to understand this. Even if you don't believe in Jesus and you don't serve him, his grace has been poured out on you like you have no idea. And he has been with you in the midst of your worst moments, even if you don't know him. He imposes himself on you in those situations because he loves you that much. But in hell, you will not have even that. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Now look. <clears throat> Jesus is not saying the reason you were on your mat was because you did something wrong. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is simply drawing a comparison. Jesus is saying, I understand at some level you went through hell on your mat for 38 years. I get that. And I understand you're celebrating the deliverance from that hell. But if you use that grace and convert it into a license to continuously sin without repentance, then something worse is going to happen to you. Notice, he said, stop sinning. You know what that means? That means that he had been doing something, and the scripture doesn't tell us. There is a certain state of mind, there is something that this guy was doing and indulging in, that Jesus says, I know it, you know it, stop it. wonder how much, much of that is in this room. See, this whole thing about Jesus seeing and knowing us is a double-edged sword, isn't it? Because on the one hand, it's a beautiful thing. It means you're valid. But on the other hand, it's a terrifying thing. It means you're seen and you're known in ways that nobody does. You got stuff going on nobody knows about. I don't need to know. John never calls out what the specific thing this guy was doing was. I don't need to know. It doesn't matter what my opinion of you is. I'm not your judge on the last day. I don't care how you feel about me. You're not my judge on the last day. I'm not going to look you in the eye when this is all over. We're happy to 
put out this, this kind of persona to other people, and then, and then internally you're a complete and total mess. You know what this tells me about Jesus? This tells me about Jesus that he's going after the entire person. This guy's body was completely wrecked by his disability, and it wasn't enough for Jesus to fix that problem. He's going straight to the guy's spirit, straight to the guy's walk with God. Because whatever sin he was indulging in was much worse for him than being lame on that bed for 38 years. I wonder if we really believe that. I wonder if that's our view of sin. This is the last conversation recorded, by the way, between Jesus and this guy. On the one hand, Jesus sought that guy out to find him because he wanted to celebrate his healing. On the other hand, he wanted to warn him. So this is where we live. On the one hand, we celebrate the healings that God has done and will do. Man, there's so much healing in this room in the future. You have no idea. So much healing is on the way. Okay? But on the other hand, there is so much undercover, underground sin, and Jesus is saying, stop it. I'm healing you so that you can stop sinning. I am not healing you just so that your life can be prim and comfortable and all the rest of it. Why? Because sin keeps me from you. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Verse 15, the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. He goes, oh, you're the guy? I'm going back now. I'm going to tell on you. I'm going to tell him who you are. Now, commentators are very strange with this, because some commentators say that the guy was upset at Jesus for rebuking him, and so went to tell on him to the, uh, to the Pharisees. Do what you want with that. Verse 16. And this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. Here's one of the discussions the Jews had at that time. They said, look, nobody can work on the Sabbath. And then the question became, well, does that include God? And the conclusion they came to was, well, well, no, because God has to like maintain the universe and stuff. So he works on the Sabbath. Does that make sense? He's still working, obviously, because everything would go haywire if he stopped working. So when Jesus says, I'm working too. He's saying, I'm equal with God, is what he's saying. He's saying, me and God are running the universe together. That's what Jesus is saying. When I talk about Jesus Christ, I'm talking about the person who literally runs this planet, this universe, the star system over there somewhere. I don't know. Jesus is running that. He's sustaining that. Him and the Father are working together. That's what he says. My Father's working until now, and I am working. Verse 18. This is why the Jews are seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. So here's what happens. Jesus performs this insane miracle with no effort. Boom, you're healed. Just by a word, by the way. They know that Jesus performs this miracle. They don't go and pursue him and say, man, who are you? They say, you broke one of our rules. Jesus says, I work alongside God. I'm God in the flesh. They say, yeah, we're going to murder you. They don't want to pursue God. They don't want to pursue Jesus. This entire conversation that Jesus instigated was him pursuing them, but they didn't want any parts of pursuing him. Here's my question to you. 
do you, do you want to know who this Jesus is? You heard that he does miracles. You heard that he died on the cross. You heard that he rose again. This is the United States of America. I'm sure you've heard the story. Do you want to know who he is? I am not asking if you believe everything about him. I'm not even asking, do you have no doubts about him? I'm not even asking, are there things that he says and does that you disagree with? I'm not there. What I'm saying is, do you even want to attempt to know him? If he says things you disagree with, are you even willing to have that wrestling match with him? Or are you just completely disinterested in knowing him, period, end of story, full stop? That's the question. You want to know this amazing Jesus who will celebrate your healing and warn you in the same breath. That's beautiful. That's love. You want to know this Jesus who can, with a word, get you out of things that have been, that have been trapping you for decades. You want to know this Jesus who can make a valid person out of you who've been invalidated by everyone, including yourself. Do you want to know him? That's the question. That is the ultimate question. And by the way, it is the ultimate goal of everything, is to get to know him. You know why I'm making such a big deal about this book? Is because through this book, you will know him if you want him. And you will find that as you begin pursuing him, you're going to find that the entire time he was looking for you. Just like that dude went to the temple, and then Jesus found him. In your pursuit of Christ, you will find that he was pursuing you the entire time. Some of you right now are speaking to your spirits and listen, look for me, find me. You got problems with some of the stuff I said, let's wrestle about it. You got issues with the way that your life has gone, let's talk about it. You are the guy or the girl that's blaming me for all your horribleness, fine, let's talk about it. Do you want to know him? All right, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for your love, your care. Thank you so much for walking in the midst of this room right now, God, seeing, knowing these people, healing them, warning them, challenging them. Jesus, thank you for challenging those people. Jesus, thank you for pulling away and coming back. God, I pray that the words that I have spoken today would fall on rich soil and new years on streets. Many people would come from me, God. Heal my friends tonight, God. Deliver us from self-pity. Deliver us from our horrible identities, God. Validate those who have been invalidated. Humble the proud. Come visit us tonight in Jesus' name. Amen.